0: Well, good morning, Austin Stone family. So great to be with you all today. If you have a Bible, I'm gonna ask you to open it to Matthew chapter 20. We're gonna be in verse 29. And as you are opening to that spot, Matthew 20, 29, uh, I wanna help us. So sometimes when we're studying the text in sh- sort of little chunks, we can miss the, the, the flow. And so if you're just reading through the book of Matthew, sat down with a cup of coffee and you're just reading through this book. You might get to chapter 20, verse 29 and feel like it's a little out of place. And what I mean by that is we're about to see this tremendous miracle that Jesus does, but we've already seen him do this. We've already seen him do miracles like this. And most of the miracles in the narrative of Matthew are found in chapters eight through 15 when Jesus is sort of establishing his ministry. And then we get here to chapter 20 and it's, it's been a little while since we've seen uh, a miracle done. And so right before this, if you were with us last week, you remember we, we saw Jesus teaching that he said he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we saw this beautiful sort of wonderful teaching on what it means to be uh, in the kingdom and a life of service. And then right after this, What's gonna happen directly after this miracle is what we call the triumphal entry, which is this moment that Jesus goes into Jerusalem for the last week of his life. And you remember people are throwing palm branches on the ground in front of him and they want him to be the king. And so we have kingdom teaching and we have Jesus entering Jerusalem as king, but smack in the middle of that, we have this little miracle, this little moment. in verses 29 to 34. So let's read that together. And we want to keep in context what's happening around. So this is Matthew 20, starting verse 29. Here's what it says. And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him and behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And the crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent, but they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus in pity touched their eyes and immediately they recovered their sight and they followed him. All right, so here's what's happening. There's this moment that, that, that's happening. He's moving through Jericho. That's how, that's how Matthew tells us this story begins. And we might not think that's a big deal, but Matthew drops a pin and he says, hey, we're in Jericho. And what he means is this, is that Jericho was this little sort of bougie suburb of Jerusalem. It was this, this upscale neighborhood that you had to go through in order to get to the big city. And so he's saying, we're, we're on our way out. We're on the other side of Jericho, which means we're moving into Jerusalem, which means he's moving towards the last week of his life. So they're moving through this little town of Jericho. And remember, this is, what's called Passover so this little town would have just been packed hundreds of thousands of pilgrims would have been packed into this little town the little the tiny streets all the the food carts would have just lines of people and people would be on top of people all over the place. This would be like Zilker uh, during ACL, just with less tattoos. This is this pressed in people everywhere. And here comes Jesus at the height of his popularity. And this, this crowd is following him wherever he goes, just pressing in on him. So there's this sort of, some of you are introverts and you like your space. And so you're like, that sounds terrible to me. I'm already stressed out just talking about the people all around. And so there's this sort of chaos in the streets. And at the same time, you have to imagine that Jesus knows the trajectory of what's about to happen, that he's about to move out of Jericho, he's about to, about to move into Jerusalem for the last week of his life, that by Friday, he'll be on a Roman cross. So can you imagine if for some odd reason today you found out that by Friday, your life would end? How would it inform what you do today? How might might you live differently today knowing that the end is coming very soon? The stress, the worry, the weight that you might feel, that's what Jesus is feeling. So the crowd is pressing in and his soul is, is moving within him And that's, that's the, that's the the scene that we set. So I think that the miracle is, is incredibly powerful for these blind men, but I think it's even more powerful because the timing that it takes place shows us something about who Jesus is, something about why Jesus came. And that's what we see. And I love this. So, so Matthew, the author here says this, he says, verse 30, behold, now it's not a word that we use often. So here's the Texas translation of behold, it would be something like this. Like, hold on, y'all got to see this. This is, this is about to be something. And so Matthew says this, he says, behold, y'all pay attention, watch out, you got to see this. And so he says this, behold, there's two blind men and they're sitting on the roadside, sitting on the curb, this massive crowd, Around Jesus. And these guys start yelling, Lord, have mercy on us. And the crowd, here's the crowd. They're like, Hey, y'all be quiet. Like we're trying to listen to Jesus. We're trying to get close to him. We're trying to, to, to be in his crowd. And you guys are annoying. You guys are loud. You guys are obnoxious. We can't hear Jesus because you, you guys keep yelling, Lord, have mercy on us. Don't you know that Jesus is busy? Don't you know he's got things to do? Don't you know that that this is Passover and that he's important and you're not? And guess what these guys do? I love this. It says, and so what do they do? They don't go, yeah, you're right. My bad, I'm not important. They, they, They cry out all the more. Lord, have mercy on us. Be quiet. Lord, have mercy on us. They're crying out for God to show mercy. This is their last chance. Jesus is moving through, he's passing by and they're, they're at the moment, they can't see him, but they know it's him. And so they cry out, this word cry out in, in the Greek, which is what the New Testament is written in, it's this word kratzo. It's this really strong, sort of powerful word that means cry out. And so if you have kids, you, you, you get, like there's different kinds of cries, you know that? Like if you're, you have little ones and they're sort of whimpering or if they cry because they're actually trying to get their sibling in trouble, like that's one kind of cry. Uh, it's not all that serious. And so if you're a parent, you just have this an, an ability to know, is that a serious cry or is that a not serious cry? This is, this is sort of a, a, a silly cry that doesn't require my attention. And then there's kratzo. Then there's up off the couch, uh, full speed ahead, out the back door, expecting full to see somebody bleeding or something happening that's going to require my attention. That's kratzo. That's the cry that you hear that you're like, "I I gotta go. And it says that they cried out. That kids cry out because they expect somebody to show up. They expect somebody who loves them to be there with them and to say, hey, it's okay, you're gonna be... Okay, Now I was talking to Aaron Ivy, uh, our worship pastor here at downtown. And uh, he told me something I don't think I'll ever forget. He said, when he and Jamie, his wife were adopting, they went to Haiti and they would go into these orphanages. And when they'd walk into the orphanages, the, 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 the sound of silence would be deafening. Like there's, there's a, a room filled with babies and filled with toddlers, but it's silent. And so he asked, like, what, What's going on? You'd, you'd expect babies to be crying, whether they're hungry or they're cold or they need something. And he was told this. He said, The babies have stopped crying because they learned that nobody will come. The babies have stopped crying because they no longer have any expectation that somebody's going to come hold them, somebody's going to come feed them or pick them up and say, Hey, it's going to be okay. So they just stopped crying. Church, I know this has been a year. I know that, that, that all of us have some sense of cynicism and some numbness maybe about our spiritual life, but I wonder if you have sort of stopped crying. I wonder if you sort of stopped crying out if, if you just stopped though, You got plenty of complaining, you got plenty of whimpering, you got plenty of trying to get other people in trouble, but when it comes to you crying out to God, you're like, man, I don't know if I can do it. He cries out, these, these, these blind men, they cry out because they expect that Jesus can do it. They expect that he can do it. If we're not crying out, if, if, if we're finding our prayers sort of numb, if you're here on Sundays and you just sing about the resurrection and you sing about uh, who God is, but it doesn't do anything, there's this sort of numbness to us. It's a, it's a sure sign that our faith is fledgling when we stop asking. And I hope that you haven't stopped asking. These blind men, they ask and they're told to be quiet. So they ask all the more, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And so here's what Matthew is doing. Matthew is showing us these blind men who are crying out and they they say something specific. Did you notice? They say, Lord, son of David. Now, why is it that they use that particular phrase? It's important. Because that phrase was this, this messianic title. And what I mean by that, it was this title given to the long awaited coming Messiah, who would be the king, who would be the deliverer, who would be the ultimate king and the final king. That's who they were waiting for. And so they give that title to Jesus, the son of David, you're the king. They're basically saying, you're him. You're, you're the one we've been waiting for all this time. And Matthew does something interesting. If you're sort of walking through the narrative, there's only a few times that people use this phrase of Jesus. It's a lame person. It's a Canaanite woman who has a demon possessed daughter. And then it's these blind guys. And so it's almost as if Matthew is showing us, do you know who actually see who Jesus is? It's all these marginalized folks, all these these people that, that people are just Be quiet, it's never the social elite. It's not the priests, it's not the leaders, it's not the Pharisees, it's not those who you think are in charge, it's all of those who see Jesus as he is, as the son of David. Those are the ones that use that phrase. Now, in about 10 verses, what we'll get to next week is I I want you to remember, log that in your brain so that next week when we come back to this text, you're gonna see it used one more time. As Jesus moves into Jerusalem, Remember the people are throwing the palm branches down and what are they crying out? They cry out, Hosanna, son of David. Because they see what happens to these blind guys and the marginalized and the ones they were telling to be quiet. And now they they take up the same praise. They start using that phrase, son of David, you're the king, you're the one. And so what do they ask for? They say, son of David, we ask for mercy. Mercy is what they needed. That's what they prayed for, that's what they cried for. I wonder if we ask God for, for that ever. So we pray God, we, we just need your mercy. Now what happens when you're asking for mercy is you're undone, you're, you're at the end of yourself. So I have two older brothers, Uh, and one's six years older, one's three years older. And so growing up, we would just get into all sorts of tussles and, and wrestle. And I didn't know I was small, uh, but, uh, so I would pick fights with them all the time and I would lose all of them. And the, the, the moment I knew that I lost a fight with my brothers is when they would pin me on the ground. Usually my arm is behind my back and they would make me say mercy. And that's when I knew I lost. When I, when I couldn't fight any longer, when it was like, okay, I'm now completely done. Mercy. I can't fight. I, I, I've got nothing left. And that's where these guys are. They, they just say, mercy. Lord, that's, all, that's all we ask of you. We just ask for mercy. So they come with this tremendous humility of beggars but at the same time they come with this confidence of sons because they actually believe that Jesus can do it. So they have this unique sort of balance of being humble beggars and confident sons. What I mean by that is they were willing to ask for mercy, but they were willing to ask. And when our, when our kids were little, we've got three boys, when our kids were little, uh, they would ask for stuff, like crazy stuff. I remember my kid, uh, my my youngest was maybe four years old at the time, and we woke up on a Saturday morning. I said, hey, buddy, what do you want to do today? And he looked at me straight in the eyes like, dad, I want to go to China. We're like, well, uh, not sure that's going to happen today, but how about Sonic, which was just as good for a four-year-old to go to Sonic as China. Apparently, that's the same thing in their economy. Uh, But he looked at me fully believing that I could take him to China, that I had what it took to transport him from one country to another. He thought, of course, dad can do that. Dad can do anything. Dad can do whatever I ask of him. And there's this sort of honoring that that a child comes with to a mom, to a dad to say, I honor you in asking. In church, we honor God in asking when we believe that he can actually accomplish what we're asking him to do. And I wonder if we we don't sort of protect God in our prayers. You know what I mean by that? Is like, maybe you've been disappointed that the answer's been no for so long that you just sort of stop asking because you're afraid that if the answer's no again, you'll stop believing. And so you just kind of step back and now it's not kratzo, now it's just numbness. And these beggars, they're like, we're all in. We're asking with humility, but we're asking with purpose because we don't only believe that you can do it, we believe that you will do it. And that's where I find myself in all honesty and a lot of times in my prayers, I don't doubt that God can do stuff. I do doubt sometimes that he will. And what that does for me is it sort of causes me to not wanna engage by asking the father, not these guys. They say, Lord, son of David, you're the king, you have all the power, and they pray for mercy. And here's what Jesus does. I love this, four actions that Jesus takes. He stops, he asks, he pities, and he heals. He stops, he asks, he pities, and he heals. First thing, we see the text say this, that Jesus stops. Now, it doesn't seem all that significant on first glance, but you gotta remember that the parade of people, the, the press of the crowd, the, the moment, the energy is all around Jesus. There's people pressing in on every side and he sort of just stops the parade and he turns to the side. And you've got to imagine that this, this, this way sort of parts and he walks over to these blind guys. He stops in the middle of the parade. He stops in the middle of what is about to be the greatest week in the history of humanity where we see the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. And he stops just before all of that to talk to these two guys. He's not too distracted by the crowd. He's not too distracted by the journey. He's not too distracted by the coming cross. And he just stops and talks to these guys. He gives them dignity and and, and importance and he listens to their prayer, their cry. We gotta remember this, that Jesus is important, right? You're saying, oh man, that, that is, I gotta hashtag that. I gotta send out, Jesus is important, right? He's utterly important. He is the, the most important. He is utterly sovereign. He is the, the, the sovereign king of kings, the omniscient Lord of lords. He holds all things together. And yet he's not so busy that he can't stop and listen to two nobodies. To two nobodies who could offer him nothing. He just stops to listen. Why? Because that's what Jesus does. That's who Jesus is. Church, he's not too busy for you. I don't, I don't know if you have this. I sometimes have this sense like, man, my prayer is, it seems, it seems awfully small compared to like the big prayers out there. Like the really important things. I'm sure God's like, Super busy right now, He's he's probably his calendar's way full and maybe I can just squeak in a a request maybe a couple weeks down the road when his his schedule lightens up as if God is sort of way too busy for me. God is not too busy to listen to the cries of his kids. Again, if you're a parent and your kid is crying, you're not like, can you get back to me in like an hour or two? I've kind of got something going right now. So if we could push your cry back, no, that's, that's not how God works. He stops and he listens and he asks. Second thing we do, uh, we see is that Jesus asks. What a crazy question that Jesus asks. What do you want me to do for you? Uh, I think one of the things that Matthew seems to be doing here uh, is he, he puts, puts that question in front of us two times in about just nine verses. So if you remember last week, Jesus asked that exact same question to the mom of the disciples. This is just a few verses earlier uh, in verse 21. Said, then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? And she said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. And Jesus answered, you do not know what you're asking. So the two disciples came with their mom and he's asked them, what do you want me to do for you? And she says, hey, you're about to be the king. What I want you to do for my sons is I want them to have thrones. I want them to have power. I want them to have honor when you come into your kingship. And Jesus answers, you don't even know what you're asking. And then he comes to these two blind beggars who say, son of David, you're the king. You have the power. You have everything. He says, what do you want me to do for you? And they say, we just wanna see. And he says, yes, healed. Two different, two different questions asked of two different people. What do you want me to do for you? How do you want me to, 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 to bless you? They say, hey, you're Jesus, you're king. Give me power, give me honor, give me thrones. He says, you don't know what you're asking for. The blind men, Jesus, you're king. You're the son of David. What do you want me to do for you? I just wanna see. And he says, yes. And I wonder, like legitimately, if, if Jesus were to simply ask you that question, Austin Stone, what do you want me to do for you? How do you answer that question? How would you answer that question? In your heart of hearts before the Lord, he asked these two and one he said no and one he said yes. The beggars say, we just, we just wanna see you. We just wanna be able to be healed. And he says yes, and he does it. So he asks them a question. And third, he pities them. And I, I love this, he, he doesn't begrudgingly heal. Like, like the crowd is like, just guys, be quiet already. He doesn't walk over there and be like, hey, if y'all, got, if y'all would just be quiet, I'll heal you. Just stop asking, stop bothering me. He doesn't do that. It says he in pity, in compassion, with empathy, He touches them and he heals them. He has something turn in his heart towards their plight, towards their need, towards their prayer. The same word that that Matthew uses pity here in Matthew chapter 20 is the same word that Luke uses in the story of the prodigal. If you remember that story, you remember there's a son, there's two sons, the one younger son goes to his dad and essentially says, dad, I wish you were dead. I want your inheritance, would you give it to me now? And the dad gives him his half of the inheritance and the young son goes off to a, a, a distant place and he just wastes it all on wild living, eventually comes back home and he's fully expecting his dad to, to just be enraged. And what does the dad do? It says the dad with pity, with empathy, with Compassion runs out to meet his son and he throws the robe on and he throws the ring on and he throws a party because his son was lost and now he's found. That, that's, that's empathy, that's compassion. That's what Jesus has towards these blind men. And that's what Jesus has towards your prayers. That God isn't going, again, you're asking for that? Like, haven't I answered that prayer already? Haven't you asked me a million times? He has compassion. As a father has compassion, he does. Psalm 103 says it like this. It says, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Oh, God is not begrudging you. God's loving you. He has compassion towards you. He's not not cross-armed sitting back on the throne going, oh, those people in Austin again. Now he's a father sitting on the porch, leaning in going, I can't wait for them to come back. I can't wait for them to come back, to show my compassion, to show my love for them. Oh, what a wonderful savior that we have. He pities them, he shows compassion. And finally he heals them. He touches them, touches the untouchable and he heals their sight and they've received sight. Now, we don't know how long these guys have been blind, maybe from birth, maybe they, they became blind later in life. Nonetheless, we know that at this point, they can't see. They meet Jesus, now they can see. So I don't know if you, if you watched on YouTube any of these videos floating around, like when somebody uh, has eye surgery and, and then they can see for the first time. There's one floating around a couple months ago of, a, of an elderly man who had been colorblind his whole life and uh, he went to a doctor who gave him these lenses. He put on these glasses and he could see color for the first time. And, and he's weeping and his, his family's weeping. I was gonna show it, but then we would be weeping. We have to pass out tissues, it'd be a whole thing. So y'all can look it up later after lunch. But, but, but they see for the first time and it stirs something in them. Now, can you imagine these guys having never been able to see anything? They knew Jesus was coming. They heard the crowd. And Jesus comes over, he's like, what do you want me to do? And they say, we just want to see. And he touches them and instantly says, immediately they can see. And the first thing that they see is Jesus standing right in front of them. And, and this, is, this is not in the text, but in my mind, I'm like, this is, this is how this plays out that you just see the radiant joy of the savior. The first thing that they see is the face of Jesus. And why is this story so important? because this is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus has come to do. Not only teach us about the kingdom, the the previous verses, not only to be the triumphal entry king, but to stop along the side of the road for nobodies and to bring healing and hope to them. Now, what what a savior That, that we get to see him as he is. That's why he came so that we might have sight and then it says in the text, it says, immediately they recovered their sight and they followed him. And yeah, of, cor- of course they did. Like they're like, wherever you go, Jesus, we're in. We'll, we'll follow you. And, and I wonder how, how long they followed them over the next seven days. Because if they followed Jesus over the next seven days, they saw Jesus in the triumphal entry. With their own eyes, they saw the king. I wonder if they followed him all the way to that Friday, later that week, because if they did, they saw Jesus as the savior. And I wonder if they were in the crowd of the 500 that on Sunday and, and, and thereafter, if they were a part of that crowd with that with their own eyes that couldn't see, but now could see, if they saw the resurrected eternal king, eternal savior, their eyes could see. Oh man, what a joy. They got up and they followed him with everything. And church, what do we do with this? Like, what do we, how do we wrestle with this passage today? I wanna I want to just give you these few things for you. Maybe you're here today and maybe you've never seen Jesus like this. Maybe your first time in church, you rolled in here and you're like, I don't even know what this thing's about. Or maybe you've been coming for a long, long time and, and you're like, I wanna see Jesus like that. I just, I haven't seen him like that. What do I do? I don't know what to tell you other than to, to say, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. Let me see, let me, let me see you as you are. And maybe, you're, maybe you've followed after Jesus for a long time, but it's been a hot minute since you've really prayed, since, since you've really crotzoed, since you've really cried out to God, you sort of been going through the motions and you're like, man, is this thing even working? But maybe today would be the day that you don't let the crowd hush you You don't let your your, your suffering remove you from praying. You don't let the sin that's entangled you become your story, but you say, oh, Jesus, I wanna see you as the King. I wanna see you as the Savior. I wanna see you as the one who's resurrected and not only given me sight, but given me life. Man, Jesus, that's what I wanna see today. Would Would you help me to see that? Lord, Son of David, Have mercy on me. Lord, son of David, have mercy on our church. Have mercy on our city. Have mercy on this nation. Have mercy on this world. We need to see you as you are. So give us eyes to see. Let me pray for you. Lord, many of us are struggling now because we don't see like we ought to see. So we pray and ask that you would remind us of your love. Help us to see, Jesus, that you closed your eyes so that we could open our eyes. That you were were plunged into darkness so that we could walk in light, that you took punishment, you took our death so that we could have life and have it to the full. And so, Lord, we... We ask with the humility of beggars and the confidence of your kids that you give us another touch, that you open our eyes, that you help us to see a way forward where we don't know where to go, that you open our eyes to see the beauty of the truth of the gospel, the hope of the resurrection. O Lord, Son of David, O King of Kings, Loving Savior, please come. Please open our eyes that we might see you as you are and we might see ourselves in light of you. Lord, we love you. We're thankful for your word. We're thankful for your touch. Receive the glory, do your name as we respond to you in worship now. We pray that in Christ's name, amen.